How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to episode 44 of The Way of the Wolf. Dress for the job you want, not the one you have. This is something that if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I'm always talking about this and how my family instilled this in me growing up. And this is something that's, that's so crucial when it comes to becoming the best version of yourself. And that's why we created the show. That's why we have the guests that come on. And we, we kind of dance around this topic. But to be quite honest, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I haven't created a dedicated show on this topic. So this is that show. I could not think of a better person to have come on the show and talk through this very topic than this woman I have sitting in front of me today. She works for a company called Tom James, and I'm going to let her go into what she does for them and what she does for all of her clients. But I have a list of awards here that I want to read off. President's Club, President's Executive Club, Founders Club, Chairman's Club, and I think most notably, getting me to wear colors other than blue. <laughs> I think that's the most significant one. So, Miss Sterling Warner, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. All right. So, let's go ahead and dig into this. Who is Sterling Warner? So, um, I grew up in a super small town south of San Antonio called Pleasanton. Um, I graduated with about 200 people. I'm a middle child of... Originally three, and then my parents adopted when I was 17, so now four. Um, I w played sports in high school, almost played in college, and then decided, well, I was putting myself through college, so I really wanted to put an emphasis on my career um, and my education, and I couldn't think of a better place to go than Texas A&M. So I graduated there early 2017 and moved to Houston, and have been building my business since then with Tom James. Okay, so... Talk to the listeners about what Tom James is. So coming from a small town, um, I didn't even know there was such thing as a clothier. Um, I don't even have a, I was thinking about it this morning, I don't even have a real memory of my dad ever even being in a suit. He owned his own business growing up. Um, I always say I get my entrepreneurship from him. But, and then he went to the oil and gas industry whenever um, his business kind of went down. And so I truly did not have a memory of him in a suit other than, recently when I made him a suit. Um, but Tom James, I, so I'm a clothier. I work with men and women um, on a very consultative approach based on their lifestyle, who they're in front of, what they do, um, and their obvious need, and help them curate wardrobes that are right for what they're, what they're doing day to day. Um, so just, I always tell people, you know, I, I might sell clothing, um, but real, what I really do is provide convenience and save time. And clothing just happens to be the product. So talk me through how you provide that convenience mm -hmm. piece. So before the pandemic, um, it's funny because there were so many options out there. I could call a referral up and ask where they do their shopping, and there were a hundred different options that they could tell me. Um, now, post-pandemic, it's actually worked out really wonderfully because convenience is the number one seller of this job. People don't like going into the store anymore. They actually really appreciate having someone that knows everything about them. And I remove the hassle completely out of the day-to-day -day experience of shopping, which is with whenever it's people with very little time, that's the best thing I could provide. So I want to talk through a little bit about my experience. You were referred to me by Stacey Rocca. Mm -hmm. I think you've been working with him for, he, for a little while. Yeah, he's been a client for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think the first time we met, you came to the office. Mm -hmm. We had a conversation. You took my measurements. Mm -hmm. You showed me some 
swatches, I think is what <laughs> yes. they're called. So we could kind of talk through the different colors. And <laughs> you found out very quickly what my style is. Yeah. Blues, blacks, grays, whites. That's, right. that's kind of all those types of shades. And that first time we sat down, you're like, well, what about this? I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. And then you came out, delivered the first set of shirts, and, and I think later I had this jacket mm -hmm. made by you guys. And you basically said, hey, we, I can come in do these working sessions where mm -hmm. I'll look through your wardrobe, talk through like what to wear, mm -hmm. when to wear, and you were like flipping through shirts, and you said, and what never to wear. Yeah. <laughs> so I have not worn that shirt since. To be, it's still sitting in the closet. Oh I gosh. probably need to donate it. Yeah. But um, that's one of the things that. That, that I've found, especially for people like me. I like to dress nice. I mm -hmm. like to dress the part, but I'm also like very fixed in like what my style is right. and don't really stay up to date on the latest trends right. and stuff like that. So you have a unique ability to come in and have a conversation mm -hmm. and encourage me to try a few colors mm -hmm. that I wouldn't normally wear. Right. And I've actually received quite a few compliments on I those shirts. So, so it's just, it's just a really great experience. Yeah. I always tell my guys and ladies, I'm like a lot of times with your clothing, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And we're all creatures of habit and what's simple is the easiest route to go most times. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also get kind of stuck in a time zone that may be a little outdated or tired. So just having someone who thinks about clothing, talks about clothing, dreams about clothing 24 seven, come in and kind of make it a little bit more clear for you, mm -hmm. just the added convenience part of having someone um, as a clothier. Yeah. So, okay. So I listed off a ton of awards that mm -hmm. you've won. Talk to me a little bit about these awards and what drove you to that point mm -hmm. and how did it feel as you started accumulating these awards? So I've always been extremely competitive, mainly against myself, but um, I've enjoyed setting big, really big goals. Um, and then the recognition that comes with them. But when I started this job, they kind of told me, so I don't know if you know this, Sean, but I'm hundred percent commission. Okay. And I put myself through school and I had a horrible internship while I was in college. And it made me realize you can't get paid enough for doing something you don't love. And, um, I love to work. And I remember every single day I had to wake up and, you know, give myself a pat on the back and say, just go to work and get it done. Um, so in college, I re realized you got to just love what you do and the money will follow and the success will follow. Um, and I had a big heaping pile of student loans I really wanted to get, you know, start paying off. And any average sales job right out of college or marketing job was roughly 50 grand. Um, and I knew that was not going to give me a lifestyle and um, help me pay off debt. So I saw Tom James as an opportunity to come in and make a ton of money because I knew I was an above average worker. And if I really believed in a product and a company that I could be above average producer as well. And, um, the first step was president's club. It was super attainable and it was about a, it took me about eight and a half months. Um, and then it started getting really fun to hit these goals and to be recognized. And I honestly just decided to take the momentum and to carry them with me into the next goal and the next goal. And as I've been with the company, I'm now starting my fifth year. It's crazy because my goals have changed so much before it was, I was changed, chasing a dollar amount or an income. And as you talked about before in your previous podcast, the hundred, you know, hundred thousand dollar, um, kind of goal that everyone sets for themselves. I was chasing that so hard. And then as I started progressing with my company and my clientele started kind of building on itself and my referral-based business really just took off and I started to really become obsessed with what I was doing, I realized not only can I 
you know, make a great income, hit the six figure salary, hit goals, live a lifestyle. But this could also help me build wealth moving, you know, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now my, my biggest goal, I, um, working for, it's called the car and driver. And so I'm on pace right now to hit it by December, but the company will provide me with essentially a full-time car and driver that will allow me to pour back into my business, um, by being able to work while I'm in on the road. So that's pretty interesting. Whenever mm-hmm. you think about career progression, it seems mm-hmm. like you're on an incredible trajectory mm-hmm. right now. But as as we progress in our careers, the nature of our roles starts to evolve mm-hmm. over time. And you and I have had discussions. For me, that's been kind of evolving into more of the leadership realm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you just described, once you are able to achieve or attain that goal, mm-hmm your role or the the nature of your role will kind of shift more into how can you spend even more time focusing on your clients, on the networking, on Mm -hmm. the social aspect of it. Because if someone's driving you around, you can be making phone calls. You can be playing on on TikTok or, you know, whatever (laughs) it is you do, which we're going to kind of get into networking and the power of Uh, that really quick uh, in a little bit. But so has that work ethic always been a part of who you are? I actually get asked this quite often because I'm pretty young still. Um, I'm under 30 and I have had my eye on the prize, whatever that prize is going to be since I was a young girl. I remember having all my cash in a shoebox under my bed and picking up odd jobs around my house and my neighbors and counting it every night. And like, because I always was, um, I, I grew up in a great family, great childhood, but I always wanted more for myself. Um, I got my first job at 14, had to have my parents drive me there and back and even drove, um, illegally a couple times to get there on time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I've always had the work ethic. I've always craved the next thing and wanted to constantly upgrade my day-to-day life, my living. And now I see this car and driver, um, as such a, as a lifestyle change because I spend eight to nine hours in a vehicle seeing nine to 10 clients a day and I am totally depleted by the end of the day. So this, um, just seems like a really great opportunity to get a little bit of freedom back. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about whenever you were coming through and graduated college, mm-hmm. did you want to be a custom clothier or work for one? Or was this just an opportunity that you were presented with and you followed it? So I was the president of the sales organization at AM. So I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder thinking I was the top candidate and I could basically get any job I applied to. And I was so dead set on medical device sales for a company that heavily recruited at AM. It was the only... Um, interview I went to and I walked out of there thinking like, I'm going to be their next big star. They're going to offer me the job. Three days later I got declined Mm -hmm. and I didn't even make it to the second round. And I remember being like so confused and felt like, you know, I just had this horrible internship experience. My heart was dead set on this job. I didn't even get it. And then, um, I had a, actually the guy who recruited me, Alex Homer came in and spoke to my sales class that I was a president of And he talked about the 100% commission and the wealth building opportunity. And I knew nothing about clothing. I mean, besides the the fact that I've always loved clothing for myself, I knew nothing about dressing a man. I didn't know what a tuxedo was. I didn't know any of that. But he said, oh, you don't need to know. If you want to come in, make good money, work really hard and build a network. I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to come in, sell a bunch of doctors, get the end to go to another medical device selling, selling company. And so I totally saw it as a network opportunity at first. Um, and then I quickly fell in love with it. I loved that, um, you know, whatever I harvest, I eat. And I had 
my first paycheck was like, oh gosh, if this is a start of 100% commission and I can give myself a raise every single month, I'm staying here. I'm going to see what yeah. else it can do for me. So uh, Mike Rowe, the host mm-hmm. of Dirty Jobs, I mean, he's well known for a lot of other things. He talks, so actually, let me backtrack. So uh, one of the things that I always talk about is following your passion mm-hmm. and the importance of it. And a few months back, I saw a video that he was on or created or something, and he said, following your passion is kind of BS. He said, you need to follow the opportunity and bring your passion with you. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like you've, you've done that. 100%. Because your passion was, it sounds like, on the sales side of things, yep. even in college, mm-hmm. based on what you just described. And so I find it interesting, and for all of you listening, it is important to have that passion and make sure that you do bring it with you because it can absolutely have a positive impact on your life and making sure that you're doing what you love. And if you can create that passion where there is opportunity, I mean, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It sounds like that's what you've done. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. I had a mentor right when I first started with this job and I had a lot of people not look down on me, but you know, I went through college and then I left college with a ton of debt and I had a lot of people say, oh, she sells clothes now, like custom clothing. And I use that as my fire. And it's funny because a lot of these people that said those things before are kind of, they look at me almost like I'm famous now. <laughs> um, just with the clientele I've been able to grow and the lifestyle I've been able to grow at such a young age. Um, but one of the best phrases I always tell people is, you know, for my company at least, Tom James is a vehicle to get me whatever I want in life. And my product is clothing. And luckily I've fallen fallen in love with the clothing and the styling. But my passion is the people. I've always been super interested in success and seeing how people get there and their paths and their stories. And I saw it as an amazing opportunity to be in really, really closely with the most successful people in my in the, one of the biggest cities, um, the most diverse cities. And now I always say I work with, you know, I have 600 clients and they're all my best friends and I get to learn from them every single day. And that's the intangible part of this job is the knowledge and the, the stuff I get back in return from just having conversations all day long. So there's something so important to what you just touched on. It's the power of networking. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of people that I've known and coached and worked with over the years that uh, they want to network, they want to grow, but maybe they're a little bit of an introvert. Mm-hmm. They struggle with engaging with people. I w- we're going to dive into the networking stuff, but before we do, I want to hear your thoughts on any guidance or advice for people that know the power of networking, but maybe are a little bit nervous to put themselves out there. Mm -hmm. So I fortunately have never been, I'm very extroverted. Like if you do the the test, I'm off the scale, Mm -hmm. but, um, I've got so many friends who are really good at this job that are introverted and it, you know, the networking is important for everybody. Um, but all I have to say to the networking part is, your network is your net worth. I've said that from the beginning. It's one of the things that have been the most true statements to everything I've done in my life and all my successes, whether it be through work or personal. Um, and I'm the first person to reach out to my network when I need help or if I need guidance. And it's one of those things where you've just got to, got to go for it. Um, dive deep and, you always grow the most when you're uncomfortable. And I can think of several different times where I've wanted to reach out to someone um, and I was scared, but then I did and it has totally changed my business or my outlook or has been either they've turned into wonderful clients or they've turned into wonderful referral sources. Um, and so it's just so worth it. It's it's You'll only regret the times that you don't do what you know you need to do. Um, and even if it doesn't prove to be successful when you do it, it helps you for the next time with confidence at least. 
Yeah, that's right. I'm probably going to clip that because that was great okay. guidance and feedback. So <laughs> with networking, there's a number of mediums by being able to network. Obviously, phone, LinkedIn is a big one, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of that. What have you seen the most success in, in terms of being able to build your business? Mm-hmm. So kind of backstory, my last class at Texas A&M was digital media marketing. It was the very first semester they'd ever had it. And I had accepted the job in March and I was in that class in, in the spring semester. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to be a clothier. I truly don't really know what that is yet, but um, I might as well start this process because I went to look on Instagram and I didn't see a single person with a Tom James Instagram account. And I wanted to, I searched them so I could go figure out what the heck they were doing, what their life was like, who they were seeing. And so I went um, and I made my first, my Instagram account when I was sitting in that social media marketing class before I ever even started this job. And I said, Sterling sells suits. And I decided, okay, that's going to be my name. I'm going to brand myself front to back. Um, And so it was created in marketing 435. And, um, ever since then, I, the day I started, I realized, oh my gosh, like this is such an amazing opportunity to connect with people. It's also a great opportunity. I didn't realize it would build almost an empire that helped me survive and thrive during the pandemic. Um, but LinkedIn has been the number one resource for what I do. And I feel like all my other avenues, like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok have just been able to enhance my brand altogether. So that's interesting because in in my experience, it feels like the algorithms with LinkedIn allow for greater reach. Definitely. Whenever I create content on on LinkedIn, like I released a video of me talking on another podcast Mm -hmm. and ended up with over 3,000 views, Mm -hmm. that same video on Facebook and Instagram got like 60 type of a thing. So it's pretty crazy, but I think it's important whenever you start looking at networking and the mm-hmm. different mediums, even within just the digital realm is learning about those platforms right. and how to capitalize and get the most out of them so that you can expand your reach as much as possible. And one thing I'll say, because it's been a lot of trial and error. I obviously didn't have any experience on LinkedIn before this job, except that I had to make one to graduate. Um, but it has the number one thing with social media, in my opinion, whenever you're building a name for yourself is it's a wrecking, um, the kind of the familiarity you're getting from people. And I remember it was like one year into my, into my career. And I got this message from a plumber on LinkedIn and it said, Hey Sterling, I'm a plumber in the Houston area. Let me know if you need anything. And I was like, that was so weird. Why did this guy, but guess who I called when I needed a plumber. So it wasn't that I needed him at that time, but it was a familiarity and everybody knows someone that needs something. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to build my brand. I'm going to build a base of people who are familiar with my name. Um, and LinkedIn is such a great, uh, tool because I started making $80 a day at the beginning of my career and I was getting gatekeeper after gatekeeper after gate after gatekeeper. And I started thinking, well, what's the quickest way to the top? I said, well, there are no gatekeepers, um, managing these CEOs, uh, LinkedIn inboxes. So I said, I'm going to build familiarity to my name and my face and my brand, and then I'm going to reach out on LinkedIn. And it was the quickest um, way. It used to take me, you know, several hours of calling someone, booking them, getting canceled on, rescheduling. But when people know who you are and they've seen your face and they've seen you on social media and you can have a direct pathway to them, it's the easiest way to get in front of them. That's impressive. So Mm -hmm. whenever I think about like traditional ways of of reaching out to people and you express the challenges that you are having, Mm -hmm. 
being able to adapt and mm-hmm. pivot and then just go in an entirely different direction. And it just opened up tons of doors for you. It sounds 100%. like it's been, it's been the number one most pivotal thing I've ever done for my business is having that fluidity between my social media and my LinkedIn. And now I don't even use like a CRM or database. I get on my LinkedIn, I go to my most recent connections and I dial down that list or people who have interacted with me or like my posts and I call them from there. And it is the easiest way to get in front of people now. I like it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right. So let's talk about, we had Phil Swanson on the show recently. We talked about the importance of presence. Mm-hmm. And whenever I think about presence, he and I were kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out, okay, what is it that contributes to someone's presence? And there's a lot of things that come to mind. Uh, we have a little bit of a guest here on the show. <laughs> Brinkley just walked in. So there's a lot of things that come to mind for me whenever it comes to presence. And I think your appearance is something that's that's very important, a very important component to that. So so you've got the appearance piece. And, and I think the number or the quote that I've seen is like within six seconds of someone meeting you, they're already sizing you up mm-hmm. and determining what level of respect do I pay this person. Definitely. And we, I don't like to think about it that way. It's just wired in us as mm-hmm. human beings. We're sizing somebody up mm-hmm. and determining, hey, like what's this interaction going to be like? So in your experience, have you had any customers or clients that you kind of helped build their presence and build their confidence in the process. Oh, definitely. So, and that is so important, especially in a world now where things have changed. Um, after the pandemic dress is, is dramatically different than it was before the way people dress. Um, and the most common, um, kind of question I get is how do I dress appropriately for, for post pandemic world? If I'm in a suit, I'm overdressed. And if I'm in a polo, I'm underdressed, but people aren't dressing up anymore. And so I love to come in and teach my clients now kind of the importance of smart, casual. And one of the most, you know, things that I've learned from this job is anywhere I go, if I'm traveling, I'm always dressed up in a blazer at, at a minimum, because unfortunately you just are treated so much better. You're more respected. Like when I'm on a plane, I've got a, one of my blazers on every single time. And I always get treated with a different level of respect than if I'm in yoga pants and a sweatshirt. Um, although I'd love to be in that too, (laughs) but yeah, it's extremely important to, like you said, dress for the job you want and where you're going, not the one you have. And I actually got a text message this morning from a good client of mine who said, I've never felt more confident than when I'm in your clothing, because I know that you have me prepared for my day to day. And I know that my clothing fits me. Um, and so he said that I can, you know, wake up and go to work and that's one less stress I have or one less worry or one less thought that doesn't cross my mind because I know I'm taken care of. That fit piece that you just mentioned is something that admittedly I've struggled with in Mm -hmm. my life. I have narrow waist, broad shoulders, and, and it seems like most clothing is not designed for, uh, people with that built. And I know probably eight to 10 years ago, I used to go to Nordstrom, find a shirt. Okay, this is perfect. It's a hundred dollar shirt. Now I got to spend 50 bucks to get it tailored to Mm -hmm. bring it in. And you never know if they're going to get it right Right. or not. So the, the process that you go through and Mm -hmm. being able to come in, take the measurements and admittedly what we had one or two shirts that weren't quite right. Mm -hmm. And you got them all fixed up, got them taken care of. And it was just, it was such a, a great experience, but being able to kind of circle back around to the fit mm-hmm. piece of it. If the clothing doesn't fit right, it's just, yeah, it's you a can, mess. you can spend $5,000 on a suit and if it doesn't fit you properly, no one's ever going to, 
you know, look at you the same as if it was a $1,200 suit that was tailored for you. Um, so yeah, fit is going to be the number one thing you can wear anything. And if it fits properly, you've already got, you know, a a level up on most people. Mm -hmm. So what's been the most challenging aspect from a sales perspective for you? It doesn't seem like that's much of a challenge Mm -hmm. for you, but certainly there've been times whenever you had to figure out, Hey, like I've got to, I've got to pivot and adapt to, Mm -hmm. to be able to like, well, the pandemic, Yeah, that's did it start off well, or was that a tough transition for a few months or how did that, that was one of the hardest months of my um, my personal career, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to have a job in six months? Is my company going to go under? My company is privately held. I'm an owner in my company. I have tons of stock in the company. And at every club level, I win more stock. And so I'm like, is this the end of my career? I love what I do. And so I remember waking up one morning and I said, okay, I can either pivot, learn how to sell via Zoom and social media. Um, I can use this time to be creative and grow my brand or I can quit this job and find another job in the middle of a pandemic. And I thought, well, I think I have my odds are better staying with the company. And that shift right there is why now I call myself a lifer with my company, because I was able to dive in so deep through my, um, and focus on my branding, getting creative. I've taught, um, I led webinars for my whole company on how to sell via LinkedIn and social media. And it changed the, the nature of our company's success during the pandemic. Um, I had people calling me every day saying, thank you so much for what you've taught us. And it was things that I had been doing for the last three years without realizing it was building a brand. It was causing recognition behind my name. It was um, posting on social media. And so I decided, you know, I can either work my butt off. And I always said I used it as a character building year. Um, My sales were down 1%, but I got more new clients last year in the pandemic than any other year in my business. And now this year I'm up 70% because of it. All right. So I want to talk about the nature of your role. What you just described in terms of hosting Zoom meetings, giving speeches, talking to people. And I think from what I've seen, I think I've observed you kind of new clothiers that come in, you'll you'll take them under your wing mm-hmm. and, and kind of coach them and teach them. Is that part of your job description or just something you do to go above and beyond So one thing that's really cool, and most people probably don't know this, but Tom James' mission statement is we build people and people build the business. And it's funny because sales have always come so naturally to me. And the leadership side of this job has been the biggest struggle for me. Um, I think we all have a natural selfish tendency. And being young, starting this job at 22, chasing money and success and wealth, Um, Well, then once you get into President's Club, it's encouraged for you to bring someone along with you and share your experience and build a team. And it was something I failed at multiple times, probably more than I want to admit. But I I hired and people left, left and right. Um, And it wasn't until two years ago, right before the pandemic, I hired someone. Her name is Fran. And she became number one rookie of the whole year in a pandemic. Then she hired two. Then I hired another. And so our company is so big on building people first and people will build the business if they're happy and successful. Um, So yeah, I train all people in my office. Um, I've got five on my team now. And then I've been recently promoted to building our women's line and kind of um, traveling and teaching others in the company how to measure and um, kind of consult for women as well. So 
You said you failed numerous times as a leader. Do you have any specific examples you want to share? I could go on and that could be the rest of this podcast <laughs> and how I failed as a leader. Um, but you know, they always say your greatest wins have come from your failures. And I realized how selfish I was at the beginning, how, you know, I was focusing on my, my, what benefited me only. And I truly can look back now and say, well, that's why those people are not here because I wasn't a selfless leader. I was a selfish leader. And I was seeing how can this person help my bottom line? How can I get them enough success to stay and then figure it out? Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's a really hard thing to hire people and then leave because they didn't feel like they were either fully supported or had the resources they need because I didn't know what I was doing as a leader or a manager at the time. I think that's something that a lot of young leaders struggle with. And thinking back on, on my story, I was always intrinsically driven, trying to chase that dollar amount like mm -hmm. you touched on earlier. And, you know, it took me a number of years to realize that it can't be about me. It, it has to be about yeah. the team. So curious, roughly how long do you think it took for you to transition into saying, hey, this can't be about me. It's got to be about them. Honestly, I wake up every single day and have to tell myself that. Um, I'm, I always said I'm a natural people person, but I'm a natural, like I'm the, I want to sell. I want to get out there. I want to sell. I want to break records. I want to trailblaze. That's how I am a natural influencer. Um, but every single morning I have to wake up and say, this is not about me. I just hired a new person who started at the beginning of this month. Um, he's one of my best friends and he actually was with the company for seven years, then left to run a family business and is back. So I have this huge pressure to provide this opportunity that now I've been able to take advantage. Um, and he's all in. And I know that it, I can make or break this experience for him, um, with, you know, with my leadership abilities. And so every single day, it's something that does not come naturally to me that I have to wake up and try to be a better person, um, every single day. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Whenever you're t you start building a team like that and, and realizing that their success hinges on your ability to mm -hmm. coach them and guide them and mentor them through the process. Exactly. So yeah, it's a heavy, heavy weight. Mm -hmm. So if you had the opportunity, would you go back to just being an individual salesperson and not having these leadership roles and responsibilities? No, I've realized over time, you know, at first I did it and I can tell you exactly why they failed before is because I did it because it, um, there was a really big, uh, monetary bonus to be in leadership and doing and having them succeed too. So, um, I saw it as an income opportunity before, whereas now I see it as an opportunity to give an opportunity to someone else. So I get a lot of fulfillment from helping others um, and kind of showing them what their life could look like four years into the job of just putting your head down and grinding. So no, I would never take it away. And now as I've become more of what I call the lifer at Tom James, um, I also realize like other people's success helps my stock and helps the longevity of my company and, and how we do as a whole. So I feel like a, a really big responsibility to help in that way also. Yeah, all ships rise with the tide. Exactly. If you can help your team be successful in the end, you will end up being successful. Mm -hmm. It can't be the driver, right. which you're seeing, but it uh, it's definitely beneficial. So what is the meaning of success to you? That's another thing I try to figure out every single day. And in the especially through the pandemic, I did a lot more journaling and kind of looking inward to figure out what does that look for me look like for me? Because to be honest, it's changed every year. Um, I've had a different version of what success looks like. And right now for me, it's, 
my short term goal is hitting this car and driver because I think that's going to allow me to have some extra free space in my brain and my head. Um, but it's also building, you know, a net worth that is that I'll be able to retire with dig- dignity, um, pouring my income into other investments. Like I, I bought a house last June and I'm actually looking to buying another house now. Um, being an awesome leader. And I always said it's been really easy for me to be known around my company as like the top seller and someone who breaks sales barriers. But I've always um, kind of strived to be recognized as a top leader and someone who influences other people, not just in their numbers. Um, And then just continuing to climb with my company and uh, give back to my company and train and lead and eventually have a family one day. That's a part of my success plan. Yeah. So leadership is a lot about influence, mm-hmm. and you just use that word. I think it's something that especially young or new leaders struggle with. Mm-hmm. Maybe they step into a leadership role and think, oh, I'm the boss now. you got to do what I tell you to do. But the reality is it's not about that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, to be a strong leader, that doesn't necessarily mean that people have to report to you. It's a matter of how can you influence your peers? How can you influence up the chain of command. So being a leader, it's it's more about leadership and being able to influence than just barking orders. Definitely. And that's how you're able to build strong teams, build trust, build those relationships, and then even networking. Mm-hmm. So you touched on some, okay, actually you touched on short and long-term goals, but have you ever given much thought into like long-term goal for Tom James? You touched on like some of these short-term goals, but one of the things that I like to think through is, mm-hmm. hey, what's my what's my five-year goal here, right. and then work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. So map that out for us. So our company is awesome at doing this. Every time we get together for a national meeting or whatever, they give us these thick goal notebooks, um, and it is what do you want to? What does your life want to look like a year from now? What are the things that you want to buy, achieve, um, gift, experience? So we kind of map these things out every six months um, with the company. And then they have questions in there like, what do you want people to say about you when you die and when you leave the earth? And um, it's really cool that it they're so focused on who we are as a, as a person. Um, and my five-year, you know, my five years from now, I would like to be, I'm currently number 15 in the company. I see myself in the top 10 probably in the next couple of years, at least in the next two years. Um, I want to sell at a really high level in the least amount of time so that I can do things like maybe work four days a week and do a day of leadership or a day of, um, whatever it may be actually travel. I'm a big traveler. Um, so I'd like to be in the top 10 of the company. I'd like to have, you know, multiple investments outside of Tom James, but, um, just continuing to grow my sales and grow my team and provide influence. And um, I'm really heavily invested with our women's line right now. And I'd love to see where that can go for me because in the last year, my women's, my women clientele have become 30% of my business and it's growing rapidly every single day. So I love being involved with that. Um, But yeah, that's kind of on the, on the horizon for me. One of the things that I like, and there's been kind of an underlying theme here of a lot of comments that you've made about Tom James and how heavily they invest in their people. Mm -hmm. Do they have a dedicated leadership development program? You know, they don't, um, but our company has changed so much in the last year. We hired an HR person, you know, we had HR, but we hired a marketing person for the first time. We hired, um, 
We do have a leadership and development kind of slight program, but it's kind of more for whenever you're starting your first kind of two months of training, three months of training. Um, but I think that would be an amazing addition because our company is so heavily focused on culture um, that it would be, I think, a huge addition and complement to our company. So I can definitely see that. And as you talk through all of the things that you've been discussing, it sounds like you guys have an incredible culture. And, you know, I'm, I'm always a big advocate and proponent of companies investing in, in leadership development programs, but it sounds like the leadership development piece is instilled in the culture. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that comes from? Honestly, our executives, they are right then and there. Like if I, if I have an issue, I know that I can go to my CEO. He knows me by name. He knows my parents by name. He knows my family by name. Uh, my regional directors, if I have an issue on my pay stub, I feel confident enough to call them and he will carve out 30 minutes of the day and go through my pay stub with me. Um, but it's kind of, you know, we just had our regional director come into town last Friday for lunch. And the thing we did was we went over our core values as a company and we went over our mission statement and we all read our mission statement together. So I think it's something that our company has done such a great job of is keeping, um, the emphasis and we're in the people business and we build people and people build the business and, and turn sell clothing. But it has from day one started with the top, our top level executives. Um, I remember I was sitting in my chair at my first day of sales school and this six foot five man walks in and is reading a mission statement. I'm like, who is this guy? Is this like the leader guy or whatever? Like, and they're like, that's the CEO. And the CEO was the first person to come in and talk to us about our mission statement and our culture and the fact that no one is too good enough here and, you know, we're here to build people. That set the president from the get-go. Man, you should just be a recruiter for Tom James. I, I actually do recruit for Tom James. I'm going to go speak <laughs> at a tomorrow. <laughs> so, yes, that's another avenue. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. Really impressive. So, I mean, here's the thing. But that speaks to it comes from the top. It does. It, it absolutely comes to the top. You can have strong late, strong leaders at kind of that mid-tier in the organization and maybe have high-performing pockets within the organization, mm -hmm. but unless it comes from the very top, it's, it, it, that's what it takes to be able to permeate, permeate the entire organization. Oh, definitely. And it's I've gone through, every time I've kind of, I say I have a failed leadership experience where whether it's a true, I mean, it is a failure because someone left and they were underneath me regardless. And they teach you how to fall on the sword, but they teach you to do it with grace and they'll still come by next to you and say, we're still really proud of you, even though you failed. Um, and let's get better next time. And I feel totally supported at every level from my, you know, my store leader, my leader, my regional, my, you know, my VP, even my, um, CFO, I called him to ask him a financial advising question because I'm in the market to buy another house and I wanted to get his opinion and he, I could call him on a cell right now and he would be, you know, offer out that, um, that advice. And so it's really nice to feel totally supported on every level from your executives. How many employees does Tom James have? I'm actually not sure if you know this, but we're vertically integrated. Um, so we own all of our facilities. So Tom James employees is over 4,000 and that's including all of our people that work in our factories, our support staff. Um, but sales reps, we have a little north of 400 right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big organization to be private. It is. Yes. And that's like our 
best thing about us, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of value to being private versus mm-hmm. public. Now, going public, there's obviously access to the capital markets and things like that. But I also I see challenges with publicly traded companies where they start focusing. They have such a, a, a short they're so short-sighted and focusing on that next quarter. Mm-hmm. What are our earnings going to be for the next quarter? What you know, what are we doing here and here? And it makes it difficult to have a long-term mission or objective mm-hmm. when you're so hyper-focused on on that next quarter. Right. And and that's another thing is we've got, you know, one of our big goals that they tell you day one of sales school is we want you to retire with dignity with millions in the bank of Tom James stock. And it is a I can't you know, our company is so selfless with that, with the 401k and the matching, the profit sharing, we gave out a dividend in the pandemic and that for the morale of our people who are, who busted our butts selling in the middle of a pandemic when people weren't quote unquote wearing clothing was huge. And that was my big shift. Um, in my mindset, I never called myself a lifer before the pandemic. And it's funny that struggling so hard for a year to now reap the benefits tenfold this year and hitting every single goal I, you know, I was striving for. Um, I just don't feel like our company's ever been in a better place financially, myself financially and my morale and my mindset. Um, it's all kind of gearing in the same direction. So, you know, it's interesting whenever you think about success and there, there's so many elements and aspects of our life. There's our kind of uh, physical health, there's mental health, there's uh, performance at, at a job, and then relationships and business. It, there's all of these things that kind of play into one another. Mm-hmm. And I think once you start getting certain aspects of it in line, some of the others start coming along with it. Mm-hmm. So I've seen people that, you know, maybe they struggle with confidence and they start going to the gym, they start eating a little bit better, start losing a little bit of weight, their confidence starts rising. And they start performing better in other aspects of life with mm-hmm. friends, family, and then even in, in business. Because that confidence, we're circling back around to that, is so, so crucial to to success. Definitely. Being able to walk into a room, have a commanding presence is not just the clothes that right. you're wearing. Definitely. You have to be able to walk in and know, hey, I'm supposed to be in this right. room. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more with that. And that's another thing that's... When you know you're taken care of and you know that your clothing, that you can check that part off off the list and you can free up other mind space to focus on the things you need to focus on. Um, I remember when I first started day one, I said, I'm going to fake it until I make it. I'm going to walk around Houston and be the self-proclaimed best clothier in town. I remember day three, I sold a tuxedo. I came back to my office and said, what is a tux? What do I need to do to a tux? I don't even know. I've never sold a tux. I've never seen a tux. But I walked in there like all I did was sell tux, tuxedos. Mm-hmm. And um, it's crazy because, you know, um, experience breeds confidence. And when you can at least walk in and look the part, that part is taken care of. And people always, you know, they'll trust you if you say things confidently. And you that's the first part. I always, if someone doesn't buy something from one of my um, teammates and I kind of go over the, the appointment, I'm like... If they, Confused buyers don't buy, and when there's no trust, they don't buy. So you got to figure out which avenue um, you're missing. I like it. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've covered a lot of different topics that I wanted to discuss. Is there anything important to you that you would like to share with li- the listeners or just kind of talk through? Um, I think the biggest thing that has been kind of a shift for me in this world post-pandemic is you got to support your people. Um, 
and I, I mean that in a very broad sense, as far as the pandemic taught me how to, um, you know, do things, you know, become loyal to, to the people in my life. And I always say I collect people because I love learning from others, but, um, the people in your corner. So the girl who's my chiropractor that comes to my, to my house to do that, the, my hairstylist, the person I, you know, anyone I see on a regular basis, I am more heavily invested and loyal to them than ever before. And it's almost kind of like we had to, you know, stick together and ride out the hard times, um, during the pandemic. And, um, all I got to say is anything that is tailored to you, that is, um, more of a consultative approach will save you time, hassle, um, you know, down the road and help enhance your life. And then on the, on the branding part of this, I've never, I don't think there's been a more crucial time to have that social media presence, that branding. And that's the first thing I walked in today and said, Hey, why don't you have a, why don't you have an Instagram for your podcast yet? No. You're missing out a huge I opportunity. I um, but I think the way that the, the markets are going, the world is going is, you know, people, people like to see you for who you are and they like to have a familiar face in their corner. Um, and they like to support you whenever you're going after big goals and all of, you know, your impression, your you know first impression, your image, your brand name, your familiarity, all of that enhances it. So you kind of got to dive deep, you know, dive deep for that um, and just go all in. I love the fact that so everything that you just described, I see this a lot in the entrepreneur space. Mm -hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs, they'll lean on one another. There's tons of networking groups. I went to a B&I event with mm -hmm. Daniel Wolfson, who was on the show. And, and I always appreciate how well they lean on one another mm -hmm. and support one another. And I also, I like the fact that even though you work for a company that 4,000 employees, you still, I suspect, work with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Oh, yeah. That's been my um, kind of my niche market. Whenever I first started this job, I'd go and I'd get referred to someone, I would sell them, and then I would say, hey, do you know any other successful entrepreneurs? Because number one, I related so well to them. Um, and they always say you attract people that you're similar to. And I was grinding and I was hustling so hard. And I knew that entrepreneurs would see that. And I also knew that there was a level of success um, that could be shared with me through experiences and stories that would help. That would be the intangible benefit of this job too. So that was kind of my niche of people that I um, kind of tried to prospect first. And I think that brings me back to home because my dad was one of the best entrepreneurs I knew. He started his own business, failed, started again, did something else. And, um, so I always thought of my dad whenever I would go into situations like that. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do people reach you? So you can follow me on Instagram, Sterling Sales Suits. Um, LinkedIn, if you don't have Instagram, is pr the other best avenue. I am recently on TikTok. Don't laugh too much. I'm still learning that. I called my assistant over one day. I had a three-hour gap. I'm like, get over here. we got to learn how to do TikTok. We like popped him out real quick. But um, but yeah, Instagram is going to be the best. And then LinkedIn as well. I love it. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, any other last words of advice for the listeners? I don't think so. I think, I think I covered a lot. <laughs> you did. You covered a, a lot of great content. So for all of you listening or watching on the channel, please reach out to Sterling. She is absolutely the best there is. Oh, and I think that's all we've got for today. Thank you so much for listening, and y'all have a good one.